This is Champagne Problems, where we come together to explore the gray areas of drinking. This is a judgment-free zone where we can all take a look at how we make decisions about our relationship with alcohol. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we're here with Hillary Scheinbaum. Hillary is a journalist, an author, a content creator, and an online expert. She covers many different topics, including fashion, health and wellness, food and drink, and lifestyle, and has contributed to many of the leading publications, including New York Times, USA Today, Marie Claire, Travel and Leisure, Elle, and Forbes. But most appropriately, Hillary wrote a book a little over a year ago that caught our eyes, titled The Dry Challenge, How to Lose the Booze for Dry January, Sober October. October, and any other alcohol-free month. This book has been making the rounds, so we have heard lots of chatter around it. Today, Sam and Patrick are going to dig in with Hillary and learn more. So without further ado, let's go to Hillary. So hi, Hillary. Welcome to Champagne Problems. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Give us the uh, Hillary Scheinbaum rundown. Sure. So, born in New York, grew up in South Florida, went to two colleges. I went to Florida State for two years, and then I graduated from the University of Florida. And soon after, I moved to Manhattan, and that is currently where I live now. And uh, I'm a journalist and an author, as you mentioned. And um, I write about a lot of different things. I write mostly about lifestyle, so anything from health and wellness to um food and beverage to sometimes beauty and other other topics and I really enjoy writing about you know this new evolution of a sober curiosity um which is what the dry challenge is about what kind of drove you or inspired you to start exploring the sober curiosity stuff or like, how did you get into this was it through personal experience or it's a funny story <laughs> um, so in a former life, I was a red carpet reporter, and that means five days a week I was attending movie and um, you know other premieres and interviewing celebrities ranging from the uh, Kardashian Jenners to Real Housewives to Brad Pitt to you know two presidents. We'll put it that way. You know some other very interesting characters, and at these premieres I would do my interviews and then I would attend the events and then. The after parties, which always had, you know, open bars with top shelf liquor and champagne and a num number of other cocktails and alcoholic beverages, you weren't discouraged from drinking. And I would never get bombed at these events, but I was certainly, you know, having a glass of wine here, having a glass of wine there, not necessarily even drinking every night, but having the option to. And then on top of that, during the day, I was a freelance reporter for a local New York paper called Am New York and USA Today and Eater. And I would write about food and beverage as well. So a big portion of my coverage was wine, beer, and spirits. And that involved, you know, tasting them or going to events and uh, networking with people who were in that industry. And then on top of it, I was in my 20s and living in New York and going out and dating and being social. So all of those things, I feel like, were consistently involving alcohol. Fast forward to December 2016, I went to dinner with one of my good friends. His name is Alejandro. And we were just catching up and talking about, you know, life, family, dating, work, 
New Year's Eve was a week away and he asked me, you know, what my plans were. And he also asked me if I had any New Year's resolutions. And I did not because I don't make New Year's resolutions. Uh, my whole thing is like, if you want to do something, you can start today, you can start tomorrow. You don't need to wait until Jan 1. Yeah. And he brought up this thing called dry January. And at the time I, you know, transparently thought it was ridiculous because everything I've, I just told you, it, it was not something that I would ever consider because it didn't fit into my job. It didn't fit into my social life. And it certainly didn't fit into my, my New York lifestyle. So I changed the subject. And a week later, I was at a party on New Year's Eve. And I had a glass of champagne in one hand and my cell phone in the other. And I was texting, you know, friends who were not at the party with me. And one of them was Alejandro. And I wished him a happy new year. And, um, you know, I, I tipsy texted him, do you want to do a dry January bet? I don't know. I mean, I was definitely drunk. Let's be honest. So I, yeah, I was like, Hey, do you want to do dry January? And he wrote back and he agreed. He thought, obviously given what I just told you that his odds were pretty good, (laughs) even though he was usually my plus one at at many of these events. But, um, you know, I, it started then it started when the ball dropped at midnight, I put down my glass and, I decided I was not going to drink for the entirety of the month. And so that's how it started. That's so awesome. So tell us how the month went. Yeah. Well, the month went really well <laughs> for me. I mean, the the next morning, I think, was the real challenge, which was I went to brunch with a bunch of friends and the server brought over complimentary tequila shots. And it was my now or never moment. It was like, okay, I could start this challenge right now and really stick to it. Or this one tiny bump is going to ruin my entire month um but at that point you know I said no and then there was no looking back and throughout the month I realized how much alcohol was impacting so many things in my life that I would have never considered like my sleep and my skin and my mood and just like my motivation in general and obviously my bank account because um you know cocktails are expensive especially in New York but you know, Alejandro made it about two weeks. Um, I do have an update on that too, but he, he made it two weeks and I applaud him for that. And when he lost, I, you know, he still was there cheering me on. And at the end of the month I won and, um, he treated me to dinner. And so, you know, to this day, he won't make a bet with me ever again. But, um, (laughs) this past January was his first successful dry January. And nice. Yeah, and it, you know, six years later. Um, <laughs> Shout out to Alejandro. I know, and I'm so proud of him. And um, yeah, I ended up dedicating my book to him too. So I really feel like you know things have come full circle. So it's really nice. That's awesome. Yeah. What did you run into as far as work, friends? Like, what was that like? Especially going into it with really like zero planning. What was it like? Yeah. You know. One of the tips that I always say to people is that if you are planning ahead, that you should clear out your refrigerator, you know, like hide your wine bottles, like not tempt yourself, especially in the conditions we're in, where most people are working from home and passing their bar cart like a hundred times a day. I ran into a few things. One being that I hadn't told, you know, my editors that I wasn't going to be drinking. So suddenly I was pitching stories about juice cleanses and um, (laughs) more food based things instead of, uh, instead of drinks. 
um, I was dating. And so I had to, you know, kind of find my way around that. Like, do I tell them in advance that I'm not drinking? Do I wait until I show up at the bar or restaurant? Um, I also felt like a lot of people who didn't understand dry January, because now it's, it's so much more of a, a cultural movement, but then it was like, uh, what, like, what is this? Like nobody knew. So it, it took a bit of explaining. And also I think a little bit of pushback, not just from people that I didn't know, but certainly my friends who were like, what do you mean? Like, you're my wing woman. Like, wh- how mm-hmm. are you not coming out? And like, doing what we do every Friday night. And, you know, definitely questions like, are you sick? Like, is there, you know, something we should know? Are you pregnant? Which is like, absolutely nobody's business period. So I think, you know, all of those things were um, challenges in their own way. And some of them are more shocking than others. But it definitely gave me a even greater perspective of what people who don't drink on a regular basis, you know, are, are kind of confronted with. So it was very eye-opening. Did you have like a single line? Like, did you have like, what was it like everyone you were like, oh, I'm trying to win a bet? Or did you kind of try on multiple different whys to share with them? You know, it's funny. I did kind of develop an elevator pitch after a while. And it, it kind of went like, I have a bet going with my friend and I really can't lose. And I'm super stubborn. And like, I have so much writing on this. And then, but people would still ask like, why? So the other answers would normally consist of, I just want to try it. I want to see how I feel because honestly, I didn't have a goal in mind. I wasn't, you know, trying to lose weight or trying to figure out if I was having, you know, sleep issues because of drinking. So it was really just an experiment for me at that point. And I think um, most people were slowly you know, understanding that. I think there were still some people who thought I was being ridiculous, but. Or like, there's something you're not telling us. Like there's gotta be something else behind it. Anytime someone asks me why I'm like, why not? And they're just like, uh, you know, because yeah, I mean, I could share with you all the different reasons, but they, they probably won't speak to you if you're asking why. Cause I don't really feel the need to come up with a strong why it's just, because I am. And, you know, if I can give you my whole slew of like little reasons that may have added up to this thing that I'm going to do, it's still not going to be what you're looking for. You're still going to think there's something else. So uh, why not is like my kind of comeback. (laughs) I like that a lot. And, and also, I mean, it's kind of, you know, off, not a little, it's a little bit off topic, but I find that most of the time when, you know, I have friends who think that they are developing an allergy towards something and, you know, sometimes they are. So I definitely want to be respectful of that. But the first, you know, the first things that they want to cut out are like gluten or dairy and that might make them feel better. And, and I totally, you know, support that. But when I'm like, how much are you drinking? It's like, alcohol is the last thing that they want to cut out to see if that'll make them feel better, which I think is just so incredibly shocking to me. It's like, you've, you've tried this, you've tried, you've cut that out, you've cut this out, you've done this, you've literally like eliminated everything from your diet, except for air and water and alcohol. And 
you know, <laughs> maybe that's why you don't feel good. I don't know. So um, not always, but I'm just, you know, it's just very interesting how resistant people are and um, how persistent they are about, you know, trying to figure out why you're doing something. Yeah, we, we talk about this all the mm-hmm. time on this podcast, you know, all the different defenses or different reasons why, you know, people don't want to look at at their alcohol use. So in, in between your first dry January experiment and the time that you decided to write your book, what happened? Were there any other contributing experiences that drove you to, to explore this further? By the time my book came out in 2020, I had been, it was, I think my fourth dry January at that point. I'm trying to add. Yeah. So I had done four and I, would not shut up about it to like everyone I talked to. And I don't mean in like an annoying way, but if somebody was like, you know, what's your new res- New Year's resolution or what's something that, you know, excites you that you have written about lately, I would be like, let me tell you about my dry challenge, you know, before my book deal. And I think slowly but surely, like people started reading, recognizing like, oh, maybe that could work for me. And instead of getting pushback from so many people, it was like more intrigue. And I think that was, you know, additionally motivating um, to write a full book and also to just kind of dig deeper because then people had questions that I didn't necessarily have the answer to. So, you know, including like the history of dry January, including, you know, what is actually going on in your body and why, you know, alcohol might initially sedate you when you're trying to fall asleep and you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, Oh my God, I cannot fall back asleep for the life of me. So I think, you know, paired with all these questions and certainly like Mm -hmm. my enthusiasm to continue doing this and, and drinking less and less and less every year and just feeling like every dry January or sober October or month in between became easier and easier for me. I was like, there's something here. And I think that, that other people would appreciate this information as well. From your perspective, Hillary, why why is this such a complex issue to the point where we even have to write a book about it or we have to put steps to it or we we have to give people kind of the full picture? Because like you said, there's there's a lot of like, oh, I've been really bloated and so now <laughs> I don't eat peppers. peppers. And you're like, yeah. okay, <laughs> that's great. And but this is a and and no one needs a step by step guide of like what it's going to, what your life is going to look like if you start eliminating peppers. Like you just order a burrito and you're like, no peppers, please. There's no, right? Like all of that context doesn't have to be there. All the support doesn't have to be there. All the explanation doesn't have to be there. So from your perspective, why does alcohol take all of that? Why do we need to write books about it? Well, I think you kind of said it right there. I mean, you're, depending on where you live, of course, and what your diet is, I don't know that you're necessarily eating peppers during every meal or that there's an invitation to eat peppers, right? Which is that with me saying that alcohol is everywhere. It is part, it is so ingrained in American culture and other cultures and social activities and our highs and our lows that it is very difficult to remove the feeling of like euphoria or support that alcohol has been ingrained in our brains to do. Um, And I don't mean physically, I mean, like, by advertisements or by just like the social, you know, 
I guess, the social culture of America. So, like, if you think about it, like, when people are, you know, they want to celebrate, it's like, let's go for a drink. It's, you know, most first dates, it's like, let's grab a drink. If it's, if you're celebrating a birthday or even a baby shower, I mean, you know, you're going to your favorite sports game. In every aspect of life, there is kind of a pass for alcohol. Whereas any other, I think, food or beverage is not, you know, invited to the, the party, so to speak. It's not yeah. centered around coconut water. I, I would love a coconut water party. But, like, it's just that that's – and that's expected, right? Like, you go to a birthday and and you kind of know, like, okay, we're, we're at a bar. Like, we're going to go to drinks or we're at a – at a dinner and people will probably order like I don't think it has to be that way but that's how it generally is so I think you know having to explain to people that like you can still have an amazing fun big life with like incredible moments or that you can you know utilize your time in other ways places and spaces like it takes a relearning and like a rewiring almost um and like a real breakdown of like here is how you do it. And here's how you're going to potentially, you know, be the, the ringleader in your friend group to start having those conversations or making alternate plans. Because I think the, the autopilot is, you know, drinks and bars and, and that sort of thing. It's almost like the, um, like it, it's not like peppers aren't like mood altering either. Right. So no one's like, Oh, you can have yeah. one, have one with me. Like, <laughs> there's an experience that you feel like is shared when you're when you're both in the same headspace or chemical space versus kind of um if you eat you know a burger and I have a salad like I'm not really affected by that but if you say oh I'm not drinking tonight and I wanted to have a glass of wine with you suddenly I'm like ooh, what are we what are we doing tonight like this was not what I expected right yeah absolutely I kind of want to dive into the nuts and bolts of of the dry challenge. Um, we, you know, we, Sam and I are both therapists and, you know, we work with people in all different spectrums of, of, of alcohol use, you know, from people that have severe alcohol use disorders all the way to people that, you know, are just coming cause they may be drinking one too many drinks and they want to explore their relationship to alcohol, um, and cut it out of their life or cut it back. And we've had several guests on our on our podcast here that have had different approaches or have different ideas of how to do that. And Sam and I, you know, we have our own personal approaches from a clinical perspective or personal experience perspective. What is the, the plan that you kind of outline in your book? And you, you don't have to go into huge detail, but kind of a high-level overview of, of what the steps are that, that you've found are the, the best way to kind of approach this. Sure. So first and foremost, the dry challenge is not a recovery method or for people seeking recovery. I certainly think that it can help you cut down on, you know, alcohol consumption, you know, in months that follow, but it's definitely not um, a substitute for AA or any other kind of program like that. So with that said, you know, I think that people who are, are looking to see how, you know, alcohol is impacting their life, um, it, it's perfect for, you know, that, that kind of individual. So the general overview is basically that, you know, there are a number of ways that you can kind of shift your mindset or shift your 
um, daily activities so that they don't necessarily involve alcohol consumption. So whether that be in a social setting or a networking setting where typically you're, or dating setting where you're going for drinks is, um, you know, the kind of autopilot um, experience. Instead, you can be creative and say to your friends or date or family or whoever it is that you're spending time with, like, let's go bowling or let's go take a hike or let's go do yoga or let's, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever it is that you personally want to pursue. And um, instead of like doing the same old kind of interview style, like sitting across from somebody at, you know, the table or sitting next to them at the bar, you're doing an activity. There's less time for like, I don't know, awkward silences because you can pick up a bowling ball or like shuffle over to the side. Or if you're ice skating, you go ahead of them or, you know, that sort of thing. Point out things on a nature trail, whatever it is that I think, you know, kind of also generates additional conversation. I think, you know, there are also different beverages that people can try now. I think, you know, with the non-alcoholic space is growing, there are so many non-alcoholic wines, beers, and spirits. But if, even if you don't want to opt for those, you know, alternatives, you can go for tea, you can go for coffee, you can go for, you know, a cola. Um, so really it's, it's about kind of changing how you view like your social activities. It's changing, you know, what you're consuming just on a, on a physical level. And I think it's just like restructuring um, you know, like what your priorities are in my book, I mentioned that the average person spends, and this is, you know, a UK study. So they, they start drinking a little bit sooner than Americans do, but it suggests that the average person spends nearly two years of their life hungover. And to me, somebody who's often strapped for time, I don't have time to be sick in bed. I want to, you know, wake up feeling amazing. I want to go work out. I want to do my work. I want to see my friends. I don't want to waste time in general, but certainly not feeling like death. So I think that um, that's a big one too. It's just like, what kind of, what do you want to pursue? Like, what are the things that you don't have time for in your life? And, and how can you make more time for them? One of the things that I, you know, I read in the intro to your book about how it can be difficult to, and we talked about it a little bit before during your own experience with your first dry January, but sharing the news with your friends and family and how to talk to people that are trying to sabotage your dryness. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and, and what are some, you know, what you've found to be some of the best ways to explain this to people that aren't on the same page? Definitely. I mean, you know, it's certainly, um, put a damper, no pun intended, but like damper on my, some of my relationships, because I recognize also that like some of them were built out of going out together and there's nothing wrong with like spending time with people because you have shared hobbies. But then when that was no longer my hobby, it just really made it clear that like, I might not want to hang out with these people in other sober instances. And that was, you know, a revelation for me in a, in a good way. I do think that, you know, there were different variations of that. Some people that I realized that, like, I love hanging out with them sober and I wanted to hang out with them more and do different activities with. I think having those conversations with some people was easier than others. Some people were really supportive, even if it was, you know, oh, you have, you're going to have to win this bet, like, we're right behind you. Or, oh, that's really interesting. Like, let me know how it goes. Like, I'd love to hear more about how it changes you. And then, of course, there were people who, you know, had a little bit of pushback. It was like, oh, just have one drink or like, 
they were like, oh, but you've been doing this for three and a half weeks. Like, you can give up. Come on, dork. Yeah, like, you can give up now. And I was like, yeah, but it's so close to the end. So I feel like I always had some kind of answer. It was like, oh, like, I'm just starting. Or like, oh, I have three more days. Like, I'm not going to screw it up. But I think sometimes it depends on your audience, right? Like, who you're who you're talking to and and kind of what their relationship yeah. is like with with alcohol and going out and that sort of thing. The thing that I'm curious about is out of kind of your personal experience with your challenges that you've done at various points in your life, what are you most proud of? What did you what did you learn about yourself? So, I think there's a lot. One is that historically I I was a terrible sleeper. I thought that, you know, living in New York, having a fast paced life, being, you know, kind of pulled in a million different directions that my lack of sleep was just due to busyness and stress. And I was getting about between four and five hours a night, which is not healthy for anyone. Um, And I, you know, chalked that up to my schedule. And then when I gave up alcohol and I still had this crazy busy schedule and I was still you know, under a lot of pressure from work and life and other things, I was sleeping seven to eight hours a night. And I was like, what? Like, that's all I had to do was just stop drinking. And, and you know, like when you're, when you sleep better, you're happier, you're more relaxed, like everything kind of just flows better. You're like, your, you know, mood is more elevated. And I just realized that there were so many other benefits too, but that was a really big one for me that was pretty game changing. I think other than that, like my, my friends at this point kind of know that if I'm going to a party that there's a chance that I'm, you know, not going to drink and they respect it. I think that I've definitely opened up the conversation a little bit more within my social circle. And I think that like, it's really nice because now instead of being asked to have a drink or feeling pressured, um, I think that more often than not, people are like, oh, you're not drinking? Like, I'm not going to drink either. And that's been, you know, an evolution over the years, but but it's definitely a positive one. What are some of the things that some of your readers have have told you about their experiences with Dry January or any kind of praise for your book that, that kind of stands out or is different from your own experience? Oh, for sure. I gotten so many positive messages on Instagram on you know email people saying that they feel like a new person or you know they're trying this in their dating life and how it's changed them and how they can kind of spot red flags a little bit faster and that sort of thing but I think the biggest one was I'm trying to think when it was in two in 2020 I announced that I was writing my book And I wrote a piece for the New York Times about giving up alcohol during COVID. And the story was about how how it just helped me so much. And it helped in my dating life specifically. And it helped me just be like a calmer, better person. And I had received an email from a woman. um, I don't know where she lives. Uh, She told me that she had two children she's married and she was in bed drunk when she read my New York Times story and um she said that it made her realize how you know she wasn't having getting help with the kids and her husband's family and her family lived thousands of miles away and it made her realize that when she had done a dry January in the past how much happier she was and how much healthier she felt and how 
um, you know, she just felt like things were a little bit more manageable. And I wrote her back and I, I thanked her for her email. And I said, you know, I wish her the best of luck. And I told her to keep in touch and, and, you know, that sort of thing. And so my book came out six months later and she emailed me again and she congratulated me on my book, which I thought was so sweet. And she also added that since we last spoke, she'd been six months over. That's awesome. Yeah. So that was really heartwarming. That's so cool. And and like, you know, we, we get some of those responses. I'm sure not nearly as many as you, but people that have kind of taken, taken a month off, um, and then continued, you know, from there, even if they don't really necessarily identify themselves as what we call problematic drinkers or heavy drinkers, just people that do the dry January challenge or sober October and they see the benefits from it and they're like, well, hell, I might as well just keep going. Do you see that a lot? I mean, is that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I personally, at this point, I extend past January. I spent, you know, five months during the pandemic um, drinking nothing. And then over the course of a year, I think I had less than 10 drinks in total. I mean, it's, it's definitely, there are studies that show that, you know, people who do dry months end up drinking less in the months that follow. And I definitely fall into that category. And I know that, you know, there have been other people that that's been their uh, situation as well. But I think it's just like an eye-opening experience. Like you just realize that there are other things to do and, you know, people don't, they forget, I think, like how hard it is, like, you know, either the morning after or just like even the week after they drink and how how much of a toll it takes on them physically and mentally. And when you eliminate those things, I think it's just like, like, wow, like this is what it's like. It's kind of like the, the shade has been lifted almost. Can you talk about kind of the, the space between doing the, the challenges and like, like how does February 1st go and beyond? And like, how does that translate into, okay, I'm going to a party tonight. Is there more intentional kind of dialogue with yourself or there are more choices on the table? Like how do you take that one month's learnings and apply it to life in the future? You know, it's funny because it's definitely evolved over the years. Like I think on my first February 1st, I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited. Like I made it a month. I won my bet. I'm going to celebrate with a drink. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Not really. I had probably like two glasses (laughs) of red wine and I promise you the next morning I have never felt so low in my entire life. Like just the, the sense of like, it was like a, I was going through like a mini depression almost. Like I just didn't want to get out of bed. Like I just was like curled up in a ball. It's like, oh my God, this is terrible. You know, my, obviously my tolerance was super mm-hmm. low, but I, I tell you that because in more recent years, it's been like February 1st rolls around and I'm like, why would I want to celebrate with a drink? And so every day that follows, whether it's a party or a dinner or whatever it is, it's almost like at the point where it's like, why, like, is it, is it worth it? I mean, I hate to say that, but like, I, I almost feel like, is this a real like big celebratory thing that I'm doing? Or is this a Tuesday night? Like, you know, and then as weird as it sounds, even more recently, I've been like, oh, like we're celebrating, but like, why do I want to celebrate with alcohol? Like I could celebrate with a piece of cake and, and be so go. much happier. Like I would rather, 
eat sprinkles and like, you know, have a sugar high for 10 minutes. It's not even like I'm negotiating with myself. I think that I just have positioned things differently in my mind. So on a personal level, I would rather eat the cake. I don't think it sounds crazy to us. <laughs> but I know it does like to, to, to other people because they're like, don't you want to feel like, don't you want to chill out? And I'm like, I'm going to have so much anxiety tomorrow if I have that glass of champagne. And not because I feel guilty or I feel bad, just because like I physically am going to react that way. Yeah, there's some people that I know that were that were doing dry January and I guess a couple weeks ago with a few more days left in January, they're like, Oh, I can't wait for this to be over with so we can get wasted like and I wanted to be like, Well, why why the hell would you you why'd you do it in the first place? Like, you know, it's like what's right. Why are you even do why are you really even not doing the this? Point. One of the other things that I wanted to ask you, Hillary, is is like what's your advice for people that, you know, you know, they make it two or three weeks in and then they decide to have a drink. How do you talk to people or what kind of advice would you give our listeners for, you know, people that attempt to do dry January and then they kind of give in or they decide to have a drink before the month's up? I, I think, you know, not all is lost. I think that if you, you can have a one drink January, I think any, you know, fewer drinks and fewer consumption is always better yeah. regardless. Um, so I think it's it, it you can look at it in a positive light and just consider it, you know, a one drink January or damp January and then continue on. We called it dryish January. We did a whole episode yeah. on it. Or demisec mm-hmm. January <laughs> or whatever it is that you want to call it. But I think the, you know, like if it's it's one of those things where you like you mess up or like there's a birthday or like it's your wedding, like you know, have, have yourself a night and then just continue on. Like you don't have to completely throw in the towel or even wait till February 1st. Just start, restart when you're, when you wake up in the morning. We talk a lot about how, you know, we've got to get clear on why you're doing it. And a lot of times that goal isn't actually about alcohol. It's about life and how alcohol just might get in the way of that goal or how, you know, you want to accomplish that goal. Maybe alcohol free or you want to challenge yourself and see what it's like to kind of be fully present and healthy and those sorts of things. But I think a lot of times when we're focused on if the goal is just to remove alcohol and I don't really have a scope on anything else that I'm trying to accomplish, then it does become a bit of a countdown, at least for me, if it's just about alcohol. And then when it's about life, I could be four months in and be like, oh my God, like I haven't had a drink in like four months, but it's because my, my focus isn't on alcohol. And so I find that a lot with clients or just even people in my personal life when their goal is about I'm not going to yeah. drink for 30 days, then it becomes a countdown and a drink, you know, on day three or whatever. You. I think, you know, initially mine was just, it was a bet. I had, I had my goal set <laughs> that I was going to win and everything else was just kind of icing on the cake and an experiment. But I agree with you. I think that, you know, dry January initially started because a woman in the UK named Emily Robinson was training for her first half marathon. And so she cut out alcohol so that she could, you know, PR in her race. And she felt so good after the first time she did it, that she did it the following year. And eventually it became, you know, national campaign in the UK. And now it's, it's worldwide. And um, to your point. What she was not looking to cut out alcohol for the sake of cutting out alcohol. She just really wanted to, you know, physically improve and and maximize her time. It's like the the goal is optimal yeah. performance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
have you noticed a shift in um like are you seeing shifts at all in your personal life in your environment and restaurants like are you kind of seeing this this wave of difference in conversation or in accessibility or definitely options? I think that restaurant menus are increasingly more inclusive I think you know sometimes the non-alcoholic cocktail menu is the same size as the cocktail menu I think that um you know, there are now these non-alcoholic bottle shops popping up all over. There's one, there's, there's many in New York. One's called Spirited Away. Um, and they just offer all non-alcoholic beverages. I think that, you know, it's, it's really interesting to see that these bigger brands too, like Heineken and like Coca-Cola and others, like, I think, Maybe Guinness is doing it too now. Have these zero point zero um, SKUs that, I mean, obviously they're big alcohol. They want to sell alcohol, and now they see this opportunity as well to make money. There is a market for it, and you know, people and businesses, large and small, are recognizing that there is um, there are people who who want to partake. You got any favorites? Like, do you do you partake in the uh, non alcoholic spirit realm? I do. I have a few favorites. I um, It changes a lot, too, because there are so many um, that are coming out on a regular basis and certainly different flavors. Uh, right now, I'm loving this brand called Viterra. They're out of California, and they're made with botanicals. Um, they have a rhubarb flavor that is amazing. There is a non-alcoholic spirit company called Free Spirits that makes non-alcoholic bourbon, gin, and tequila, so you can mix it as you would, you know, a traditional cocktail. There's this non-alcoholic sparkling, um, it's called Dry Secco by Groovy. Um, and there's a brand called Starla. They make a really good bubbly rosé. Really? All non-alcoholic. Yeah. Check and stuff and the best thing is, is like the whole bottle is like 100 calories. So each serving is like thank, 20 calories. Thank God. So like, no, I'm serious though. Because, <laughs> because if weight loss is your goal, that's why you're giving up alcohol, like. Oh my gosh, what a difference. Do you feel like this is catching on or do you feel like it's dying out? You think we're going to hit a, a higher peak with this whole sober curious thing and non-alcoholic bars? Like, I mean, are there some pretty cool spots up there where you can go to a bar that doesn't serve alcohol and you think those places are going to stick around? There are. There are also pop-ups. I think, yes, I think in general, you know, Gen Z drinks less than millennials do and millennials drink less than and X and boomers. So I think that people are, you know, drinking less and less mm -hmm. as time goes on. And certainly like, I think that people are looking for other options, you know? Um, I do. I also think that, you know, there are a number of celebrities that are kind of speaking out about how they no longer drink or they're coming out with their own non-alcoholic beverages. Like even like Blake Lively and Katy Perry recently released theirs. And I think that, those people are really influential. I mean, whether you're, you know, obsess an obsessive fan, you might not necessarily give up alcohol, but you certainly, you know, might want to try it. And if you try it and you like it, yeah. it might become, you know, part of your daily routine. So I think all of these things really contribute to um, the general trend. And I think the trend is only going to keep evolving. And it's really exciting. I do. I really think that it's, it's here for, for a while, for the long run. One of the things that we always ask our guests are just like, if 
if there were someone listening who was interested in just kind of like taking a first step with this, what are kind of your like your three go-tos? Like here's what I would recommend you consider or do. Yeah. So I think number one is, you know, eliminate your triggers. So that could be, you know, hiding um, your wine bottles, your beer cans, removing them from your apartment or your home, um, and just kind of lessening those reminders that alcohol is available. (laughs) Um, So that's number one. Number two is I would say recruit a friend. I think that, you know, if I didn't have my friend doing it with me that first year, I might have just kind of given up on week one because, but having that support system and we really did check in with each other every day. I love that. It might have been just to be like, hey, did you lose? But I mean, it was really, um, it was a great affirmation to have somebody be like, no, and like, how are you doing? And also have somebody to vent to if like you had a really bad day. And, you know, if your normal go-to is is to get, get a drink instead, you like, you know, you learn to, to talk it out um, and cheer each other on. So that's number two. And the third is like really to, again, like take charge of, of making your, your social plans and whether that's with friends and being like, Hey guys, let's, instead of going to the bar, let's go mini golfing or, you know, whatever it is that's available to you. We're just simply like filling your calendar so that it's going to keep you from drinking. I think like now is, or, you know, starting a dry month, it's the best time to explore those things that like you just, you think that you don't have time for. So those are great. You know? Yeah. I think I, honestly, I, I gotta tell you, like, People say to me all the time, they're like, oh my God, how do you do dry dates? Like it, it's just so, you know, like hard and you're nervous. And I'm, I'm like, honestly, like go rock climbing, like do something so silly and, and spontaneous. Like to me sitting, I mean, listen, I'm a journalist and I, I'll interview people all day. And so I, the, you know, talking back and forth and sitting in front of somebody for hours does not bother me, but if, if you feel like you have social anxiety, as many people do, and you feel nervous just being like the center of attention, I think that incorporating, you know, activities like that is so much easier for, for dates and for getting to know someone. Yeah. Reduce the pressure. Yeah. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to hang with us today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this is awesome. I can't wait. I have a couple of clients in mind already where I'm just going to be like, okay, here's your next book you need to read. <laughs> oh, thank you. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are solely those of the hosts and guests and are not a substitute for medical advice. If you feel like you may need professional help, here are some resources. For the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline, call 1-800-662-4357 or visit smsa.gov. For listeners in the Charlotte, North Carolina community, visit dilworthcenter.org or call 704-372-6969 or visit theblanchardinstitute.com or call 704-288-1097.